0: Here and so, um, tonight we want to take this time to recognize the greatest sacrifice that has ever been given to us and and the events that led up to it. Um, We see all this that happens in Jesus Christ as more and more opposition to his teaching and his ministry rose up against him. Uh, We also see plots and schemes by the religious leaders to kill him and see those who stood by him. Tonight we will remember the betrayal, the arrest. The unjust trial before an angry mob, the merciless beating, the crucifixion, and the three hours spent alone in pain and suffering, and ultimately the death of our Savior at Calvary. But we also come to recognize and remember God's greatest love and mercy for us in this. It's in this that we find the good in Good Friday. Can someone say amen? The death that made a way for this upcoming Sunday and that made a way for us hearing this message here tonight. And so tonight I've entitled my message, Christ Crucified. And so we're going to look at Christ Crucified through the scriptures. And we're going to be starting in the book of Matthew, chapter 26. Um, Tonight we are on the Bible app. There's a a lot of scriptures and bullet points that I encourage you to follow along with um, as we engage in the scriptures. If you're taking notes, you have that available And so uh, we're going to be at the beginning of the book of Matthew, chapter 26. We're going to be hopping through a few of the different Gospels tonight. Um, So here at the beginning of Matthew 26, Jesus has already finished some of his final teachings on the Mount of Olives. And he had come to recognize that his time was coming soon to do what his father had sent him to do. Um, In Matthew 26, verse 2, out of the uh, English Standard Version, that's going to be my main version I use tonight. It says, you know that after two days the Passover is coming and the son of man will be delivered up to be crucified. These previous chapters, all before this, in t- detailed the murmuring and the criticisms of the religious leaders who were in attendance for his messages. You know, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Jewish leaders, those that were the constant attendees of his teachings and witnesses to his miracles had been questioned Jesus left and right throughout his ministry. They, they saw the threat that Jesus was to their power and how he exposed their hypocritical and rebellious ways. It was at this point that they had made the commitment to find a way to capture Jesus and have him killed once and for all. Now, as the imminent threat on Jesus' life was making its way forth, uh, we see what was an extreme showing of love and devotion that contrasted to what would be an extreme act of, Betrayal and hostility, and so before we get into even the garden, we want to look at what happened before the garden. This is very important here, and so we're going to start in in Matthew chapter 26, verses 6 through 7, and then we're going to skip also to a version of John's account over here. So it starts off. In uh, 26 verses 6 through 7, it's on the screens as well. Now, when Jesus was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, a woman came up to him with an alabaster flask of very expensive ointment, and she poured it on his head as he reclined at the table. And we're going to go ahead actually now into the version in John in chapter 12. So, John chapter 12 now, verse 3 through 6 here. There's some parallels here that I want to bring to your attention. give you guys a moment there, but as we go here in John 12, three, it says, Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume, but Judas Iscariot, one of the disciples, he who was about to betray him said, why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? Verse 6 says, he said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. And so now we're going to hop back once more and back into uh, the version and the account in Matthew. So Matthew, once again, chapter 26, and we'll read three more verses, 10 through 13. It'll be on the uh, screens as well here if you're still turning. But verse 10 says, But Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why do you trouble the woman? For she has always she has done a beautiful thing to me. Verse 11 says, For you always have the poor with you, but you will not always have me. In pouring this ointment on my body, she has done it to prepare me for burial. Truly I say to you, wherever this gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. And we'll stop right there in the scriptures for right now. And so... We start by recognizing this. It's here that we see a beautiful offering of worship given unto the Lord, a beautiful and significant sacrifice given by Mary. And so as Mary plays host to Jesus and Simon's home, rather than getting caught up in the doing for Jesus as her sister had done in Luke 10, uh, she chose in this moment at least to, to remain in the being with Jesus. And she sat at his feet to hear what the Lord had to say. You see, it's in these moments of hearing him that you recognized him as the Messiah and recognized what he was preparing to set out to do. This special moment takes place as Mary poured out what she could for him, a beautiful alabaster jar of ointment. It's this perfume made from the essence of nard. And so to give you some context of what nard is, it's this beautiful perfume that came all the way from India, which made this a possession of high value. And the amount that she poured on his feet was equivalent to about a year's wages. Now, she didn't hesitate to carry this out. She didn't think about this like some of us do when we look at our wallets and it's time to give. We kind of look, mm, I don't know. I usually give $5. I think 5 will get me by today. And when God's really challenging you and ask you for the 20 here. But Mary didn't have that moment of hesitation here. She grabbed the most significant thing that she could, the most that she could give in that moment. And it wasn't about that it was expensive, but it was something that was valuable unto the Lord and that she wanted to honor the Lord with. Because I'm going to say, amen. Amen. So she didn't hesitate to carry this out and she proceeded to wash the feet of Jesus, not with anything else, but her hair. You see, what Mary did for the Lord was what considered to be the most humbling positions at the time. And honestly, I think it's still pretty humbling to think about today. I mean, I don't know who's lining up to uh, wash your, your brother's sister's feet here, but this especially in this time was humble humbling. Uh, this was what the work of what the lowliest servants would do for their for their masters as they entered the home. And, you know, in that time, you know, the floors aren't paved, they aren't maintained by the city. These are floors that are just filled with anything that you can imagine you can fill on the blanks there. And so Mary makes this sacrifice in spite of the criticisms from the disciples, especially those of Judas, who becomes even more disillusioned as Jesus validates her actions. It's this sacrifice that Mary made, which resonates with us to this very day. And I believe this is a very important moment for us to recognize as we gather here for Good Friday. Someone say amen. So, as we come to remember what Jesus has done for us on the cross, I believe we must also remember this act of selfless, selflessness as well. Mary postured herself at the feet of Jesus. She placed value in being with the Lord, overdoing for the Lord. You see, we must also take this time to recognize the same part in our lives. Are we playing host to the Lord in our own hearts and in our own lives? Do we lean more into the busyness of ministry or our day-to-day lives of our homes and of our jobs? Do we find ourselves being neglectful of the very sacrifice Jesus has made for us? We must posture ourselves to the Lord so that we can hear his voice. Someone say, hear his voice. Hear his voice. We have to uh, make, these, make these times in our lives to sit at the feet of Jesus and pour out a sacrifice of our time and our wills to be with the Lord. And so we're going to continue on with the scriptures here going back to Matthew 26. And um, we won't, we'll go ahead and just summarize here. But basically, um, as this is carried out in um, Matthew 26, Judas ultimately carries out his own plans of betrayal in spite of bearing witness to, to Mary's act of service unto the Lord. He makes the deal with the religious leaders to sell Jesus Christ out for 30 pieces of silver, which was the price of a slave at that time. You see, even in the midst of these sinister g- dealings, Jesus carried out his love for the disciples to the very end, as it's going to say in these next portion of scripture. As Mary humbled herself to the lowliest position of that of a slave, Jesus too was going to humble himself in the same way in John chapter 13, verses 1 through 5. And so we'll read this next portion here in John 13. And it says right here at the beginning, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, he loved them to the very end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Jesus Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things, someone say all things, into his hands, and he had come from God, someone say "from from God, and was going back to God, Rose from supper, he laid aside his outer garments, taking a towel and tied it around his waist. He poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a towel that was wrapped around him. Uh, the Lord could continue to lead as a servant first to his disciples and and all of these dealings that were being done behind his back all the criticisms that he faced just teaching after teaching moment after moment did not, change his love for those around him the verse verses right here saying he loved them to the very end another version of this says that he loved them to the uttermost the fullest extent just because he died on the cross for us that doesn't mean that his love was going to end right there but his love endures for generation and generation we have an unconditional love from our father and so despite all that despite all of our wickedness despite all the things that we do the mistakes that we continuously make the sin that we continue to dabble with and deal with, his love endures through it all. Can someone say amen to that? You see, there are translations that say here that even though he was sold for out for a price of a slave, he would position himself as one, and he humbled himself at the feet of his disciples as he gave himself completely in servanthood. As the Lord would carry out this act of service unto the disciples, Jesus would recognize what all that was about to happen to him that evening, as we continue in Matthew 26, verses 20 through 25. And so we continue there at the, at the last supper. And Jesus says in verse 20, um, when it was evening, he reclined at the table with the twelve. As they were eating, he said, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. Verse 22 says, and they were very sorrowful and began to say to him one after another, is it I, Lord? He answered, he who has dipped his hand in the dish with me will betray me. And to give some context to that moment in time, all of them had done that. So there was even more confusion about who the betrayal was going to come from. But it continues on here in verse 24. The Son of Man uh, goes as it is written of him, that wo- but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It is better for that man if he had not been born. It ends right here in verse 25. Judas, who would betray him, answered, Is it I, Rabbi? He said to them, You have said so. There's a kind of, the of this same story in John 13. even mentions that Jesus tells Judas to hurry and do what he's going to do, much to the confusion of the disciples. They hear that and think, Oh, maybe he's going to handle business. He's going to go to the bank. He's going to handle things for us. But he makes that very well known in front of the disciples, and they didn't understand it at the time but maybe they did, and I wonder if they did after the fact. So Jesus goes on further in Matthew 26, verses 31 through 35. Um, Verse 31 says, Then Jesus said to them, You will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. And this is an important moment to recognize. Peter answered him, Though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Jesus said to him, truly, I tell you this very night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said to him, even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And all the disciples said the same. It's at this moment in time where we see all of the things carried out as the Lord carried out his father's will for us. Jesus already knew about the betrayal that would take place, the denial and the abandonment by his disciples, and the pain and suffering he was about to undergo. But here in the scriptures, we see that Jesus goes through the same real emotions that we feel over situations in our own lives. And so now we're going to get into the garden in verses 36 to 38. Verse 36 here says, Then Jesus went to them to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, Sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking them with taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Verse 38 says, Then he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful even to the point of death. Remain here and watch with me. The message Bible Puts it even into further perspective. Uh, taking along this, Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he plunged into an agonizing sorrow. Then he said, this sorrow is crushing my life out. Stay here and keep vigil with me. And as we continue here, just these uh, couple more verses, or actually this last verse right here I'm in verse 39. It goes on to say that going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Jesus showed himself here not only as fully God, but fully human as well. He was in great agony, great despair about what he was about to do for the sins of the world and for our sins today. Jesus felt distressed even to the point of death. And in Luke's account of this, in Luke 22, it even says that his sweat was like that of drops of blood as they were falling on it from his head. He realizes his human condition and falls before the father as he recognizes the temptation that he faced as he dealt with this to see if there was any other way of doing this, to see if there's any other way to, to make the sacrifice to atone for the sins of the world. But as he continued to struggle with this, he goes back and forth multiple times. He goes three different times here. He continues to circle this in prayer. He continues to, to relish all of the emotions that he was feeling as God the Son. He commits himself to his Father's will for his will to be done in him. We have to recognize here what Jesus felt as he struggled to do his father's will and know that the Lord that's available to us today relates to those very same struggles that we face. Someone say amen. Amen. We have to know that just as God the father was the source of strength for God the son in the moment in the garden. That he is that same source of strength in whatever moments that we're facing in our lives today, no matter where we are. So as Christ fell on his face to pray to the Father, so must we also posture ourselves before the Lord in those great times of distress so that we have that strength to persevere. Sometimes we get so caught up, like we're circling, we're going to everyone else but the Father. Oh, let me go to this program. Let me go talk to, to my mom. Let me go talk to my dad. Let me go ahead and watch something encouraging on YouTube. Let me go ahead and figure something out. Let me play some worship music. I don't know, but we're doing everything but talking to the Father. And Jesus models this so beautifully. Jesus himself is not above the emotion. Sometimes we, we deny our emotions. We deny that it, it's not good to feel angry. It's not good to be sad. We try to use scripture to band-aid and cover it up. But Jesus models here perfectly that these emotions are real. And Jesus, the son felt them himself. And just as we do, we need to recognize those moments where something's going on. The check engine light of our hearts is blinking. And we need to bring that to the father and recognize this and fall on our faces. God the Father recognizes. That's why He sent His Son for us. That's why He sent Him in the human form. He was the only one that could be fully God and fully human. So that way, as we struggle through the things that we face in our day-to-day lives, we can know that we can look at this portion of Scripture and know we don't have a a, a God that's cold, that's above a pedestal, that's distant from us. We have a a, a Savior that relates to us. Can someone say amen? And so we're going to continue here. In verses uh, 47 through 50, I I thought smart this time I brought water. Yeah, and so verse 47 here, uh, continuing the English Standard Version. Um, While he was still speaking, Judas came, one of the twelve, and with him a great crowd of swords, with, with swords and clubs, from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer had given them a sign saying, the one I will kiss is the man, seize him. Verse 49, and when he came up to Jesus at once and said, greetings, rabbi, and he kissed him, Jesus said to him, friend, do what you came to do. Then they came up and laid hands on Jesus and seized him. I'm going to skip to verse 56 right here. Uh, But all of this has taken place so that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all of the disciples left him and fled. Judas had fallen deeper into his greed and turned over to the Lord for the the price of a slave. He led these religious leaders where Jesus would be away uh, from the crowds that he taught previously, you know, at the most opportune time that they could do this. Although Peter tries to fight with his physical might, then by the spirit, Jesus rebukes his actions and he accepts his arrest. The disciples that just earlier, just a few verses earlier, said that they would die alongside the Lord are now fleeing and running for their lives in fear. The initial ridicule and abuse begins to come against Jesus from the religious leaders in the high council. The council culture of Jesus Christ was taking place right before our very eyes. And their reckless intentions began to be inflicted on the Lord. Even in verse 67 on the Amplified saying, Then they spat in his face and struck him with their fists, and some slapped him in the face. And as this trial for our Savior begins, we find that Jesus's right-hand man, just right outside of where Jesus is being beaten and criticized, would end up turning on him just as Jesus said he would in verses 69 through 75." Now, verse 69 says, "Now Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard, and a servant girl came up to him and said, "You also were with Jesus the Galilean." But he denied it before them all, saying, I do not know what you mean. 71 says, and when he went out to the entrance, another servant girl saw him, and she said to the bystanders, this man was with Jesus of Nazareth. And again, he denied it with an oath. I do not know this man. And after a little while, while the bystanders came up and said to Peter, certainly you too are one of them, for your accent betrays you. Then he began to evoke a curse upon himself and swear, I do not know the man. And immediately the rooster crowed. And then Peter, remembering the saying of Jesus, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And immediately the rooster crowed, or sorry here, immediately he he went out and wept bitterly. And so, you get, picture this moment here, just not too far from here. Picture me being Peter right here in the courtyard, and Jesus being right over there in the breezeway. So, Jesus, he's seen everything that's being done for, to, to the Savior. He's seen the beatings taking place, the mockery that's taking place of the Lord. And just as others are coming to him, trying to see if he would associate with him, he denies himself to the point of an oath. You know, you think about an oath that you see in court hearings where it's you have to swear to tell the truth. You used to do it on the Bible, but unfortunately not anymore. But there, there's the oath where you're, you're there to tell the truth. And so he, in this same way, Peter is making that oath like, I swear that I do not know this person. He's putting it on his life. He's putting it on his heart so vociferously that he doesn't know the the, the Savior and so Peter's denial becomes stronger and stronger and, and, until that mo- very moment where that rooster crow echoed throughout the courtyard. And although Peter's sorrows would bring him to repentance later, all he can do in this moment was weep for what he had done to Christ. Jesus, Judas's remorse was also shown right here in the next couple of scriptures here. But instead of repenting for his sins, he's more sorry for the results of the sin rather than the sin itself. It's see, it's, it's actions right here that led to both his spiritual death and his physical death. And Jesus did trial now before Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor who would carry out orders for Jesus' execution. And even as Pontius tried to pass judgment to Herod today, he wanted to avoid putting this kind of judgment all on himself. He'd rather pass the buck to someone else. Herod sent him right back to, G- to, to Pilate, and Jesus was presented before him and before the angry mob in attendance. Pontius, of course, could not find any fault in the Lord, who even after being given the opportunity to defend himself and speak up for himself, you know, we have all these accusations. Imagine going to a court of law and seeing accusations being tossed against someone and that, that person's just standing there not saying a word. Their, their attorney is not saying a word there. Jesus is doing the exact same thing. He's standing before Pontius Pilate, the man that at the time you know, many believe could have just set Jesus free, but Jesus re- chose to remain silent as to fulfill the scriptures and so that he could carry out the very work that laid ahead of him. Uh, As we continue here in uh, in verse 13 here of of Matthew of 27 Then Pilate said to him, do you not hear how many things they testify against you? But he gave him no answer not even to a single charge. So that the governor was greatly amazed. First go down to verse 22 here Pilate said to them, Then what shall I do with Jesus who is called the Christ? They all said, Let him be crucified. And he said, Why? What evil has he done? But they uh, they shouted all the more, Let him be crucified. So when Pilate saw that he was gaining nothing, but rather that a riot was beginning, he took water and washed his hands before the crowd, saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. See to it yourselves. And all the people answered, His blood be on us and on our children. Then he released them, Barabbas, and having scourged Jesus, delivered him to be crucified. Pontius chose false peace and his appearance over doing the right thing with his decision making. He also tried to wash wash his hands of the blood. But let me tell you, the stains that were on his hand were never going to come out. The crowd chose a murderous criminal over the savior of the world. In John's account of this moment, the Jewish leaders chose Caesar as their king over Jesus. We can see all of this and be truly upset and disgusted with with their actions. However, we also have to recognize where we can honestly see our same faces in that very crowd church, it's when we choose ourselves and our own fleshly desires that we too choose Barabbas over the Savior. It's when we decide to go with the crowd and the trends of the world that rather than the, the way that we ought to live, that we choose Barabbas over Jesus. Um, I have some lyrics here from uh, one of my favorite songs from Shylin called, Were You There? And it says this, we see disciples sleep and mock today with a lot to say, but we do the same thing we, when we don't watch and pray. Like like Judas, we sell Christ out to get the treasure, whether it's the cheddar or forbidden pleasure. Like the chief priest, we want Christ to surrender, but we want him out of the way when he doesn't fit our agenda. Like Peter, we have misplaced fleshly confidence, but we'll deny the Lord when faced with deadly consequence. Like Herod, we're curious about Christ because he's famous, but we quickly get bored with him when he doesn't entertain us. Like Pilate, we see Christ and find nothing wrong with him. But when the world chooses the wicked, we go right along with them. Despite his kindness, we seek to do our maker violence, the fallenness of humanity at his finest. We have to recognize the areas of our lives where we reject Jesus and choose something else. Where are we choosing Barabbas in our lives? And as we continue the climax here, Jesus gets handed over to the to receive a punishment received for criminals. It's capital punishment to the most extreme. Matthew 27, uh, verses 27 to 34, details these events as Jesus is mocked by the Romans as they carry out a sentence and they, they place that crown of thorns upon his head and they press it against his brow as blood drips down his face. It's before the actual tr- crucifixion that takes place that scourging would be carried out and so scourging was a uh, customary tradition with the romans and what they used were these whips with these leather strands that had pieces of bone and metal at the ends of them and so as they're whipping Jesus, and maybe you've seen the uh, description of this and passion of the Christ, but as they whipped him, they would bruise him. They would just continue to create deep contusions on his body and they would just cut through his skin and they would expose everything that was underneath the skin, the, the, the veins, the muscles, all of that was getting taken away with every single lash that was coming against our Savior. It's everything that that just shed his blood and his blood was just coming on the floor and it just would come out more and more by lash by lash. It's Jesus here that endured for us what was the very beginning of the torture that this punishment inflicted. It was so severe that people before him had died just By that, they didn't even make it to the cross. That's how severe this custom was. The prophecy had been fulfilled just as it was spoken previously in the book of Isaiah. And this brings it out in the Amplified. Isaiah 52, verses 14. Um, For many the servant of God become an object of horror. Many were astonished at him. His face and his whole appearance were marred, which a word here that means disfigured more than any man's, and his form beyond that of the sons of men, but just as many were astonished at him. Another version of this says that he, w- he was beaten beyond recognition. He was unrecognizable. Jesus was beaten within an inch of his life and yet continued to carry the cross and his broken and unrecognizable condition for us up to Calvary. And so now we're going to go into Luke 23, uh, verses 32 through 43. Starting here in verse thirty-two, two others who were who were criminals were led away in, to be put to death with him, and went to the when they came to a place that is called the Skull. There they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, "Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do." And they cast lots to divide his garments. They're literally gambling over his very garments, trying to get value. Out of are trying to sell it, just to do whatever with it, just as he lays there dying. But the rulers, and so continue here, and the people stood by watching, but the rulers scoffed at him saying, he saved others, let him save himself. If he is the Christ of God, his chosen one, the soldiers also mocked him coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, if you're the king of the Jews, save yourself, there was also an inscription over him. This is the king of the Jews. Um, one count of this here even says, I believe, in John, where Pilate decides to put the king of the Jews in multiple languages. And how ironic is that? Because in that moment, they're recognizing that he was a savior, not just to one people, but to multiple people by putting that in different languages. And so, continuing on in verse 39. In paradise, Jesus is nailed to and hung on a cross in a humiliating, shameful, and excruciating means of death for our Savior. This which was not only done to him, but it was seen and shown to everyone that bore witness to see him hang on the cross in unimaginable pain. Yet, even in the worst and most miserable of it all, Jesus pleads to the Lord for the forgiveness of those who carried out the execution. In one of his last acts before completing his mission, Jesus shows mercy upon this criminal that dared to believe in him and place his faith in the Lord. This criminal recognized that innocence of Christ. He recognized his own sins, and he knew that he needed to call out to the Savior in that moment. At this point, we find Jesus alone in the dark for three hours as we come to an end tonight. Verses 28 uh, through 30 say, After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there, and so they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. We've had this question pondered to us earlier tonight um, as uh, Pastor George, uh, brought the uh, time of prayer. But we, we, have, we often wonder, even before this, maybe we're wondering where, where the good is in Good Friday. What, what, why call that of all days? After seeing everything that our Savior went through, the betrayals, the abandonment, the, the ridicule and humiliation, the lashing and beatings, and, and the death on the cross. As we go back to the beginning of the end, in, when we go to the Garden of Gethsemane, Although Jesus was troubled for a moment before the Father, Jesus pressed forward to overcome all that lay before him. Jesus pressed forward for us in the name of love for the devoted like Mary who sat at his feet and worshiped him. And for those who have turned their backs on him like Judas did in the garden. Jesus knew what was on the line and made a way for our salvation today. He saw the goal up ahead and he persevered through it. Jesus endured through all of this who cry out for repentance as we fall short in our human condition. He endured for those who come to know who he is for the first time and say in that moment, Jesus, I'm ready, come into my heart. That's who Jesus did it for. That's what he did all of this for. It's for you and me and for those around the world that are hearing this gospel message today. Hebrews 12, chapter or chapter 12, verses 1-2. To see. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great crowd, a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Look into Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. You see, Jesus pressed forward for the joy that he had. He despised the cross, not because he didn't want to do it, because it was the final obstacle, the final thing standing in the way from being reunited with the Father, the final thing that was in the way of of creating this new covenant, of opening the door of salvation to everyone today. That was the final thing. So he despised the cross, and it was his very mission to overcome it in that moment. Come and say amen. Amen. So let's look to the father as we carry out our lives for him and let us be empowered by the Godhead Three and one, God the Father who hears our prayers and thoughts, just as He heard Jesus' cries of anguish in the Garden of Gethsemane, God the Son who endured the shame and humiliation of the cross, and whose blood shed covers the multitude of our sins, and God the Spirit that breathes through us and enables us to walk out our lives in victory today. And so, I'm going to read this last portion of Scripture here as we come to an end here. In the book of Isaiah, chapter 53. And I'm going to read this uh, this entire chapter here, which is just a few verses. Verse 1 says, Who has believed what he's heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. By that verse, what he means is that Jesus came from this place of Galilee, where it's nothing good came from Galilee. It was really a place of no political or economic ambition. There was nothing expected to come out of of Galilee. So we continue here. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him or no beauty that we desire him. Jesus didn't look like anything special. Jesus didn't look like a celebrity that we see that we flock to when we want to take a picture with him and get their autograph from. Jesus just looked like an ordinary man. He was despised and rejected by men, as it says in verse 3. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and is as one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he not, opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that is before its shears is silent. So he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And for his generation who consider that he was cut out, out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people. And they made his grave with the wicked and a, with a rich man to in his death. Although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has been put him to grief when his soul makes an offering for guilt Yet he bore the sin of many, and he makes intercession for the transgressors. Someone say amen. amen. And so at this point here, as I close my message tonight, we're going to go ahead and get into this time of communion here. And um, I'll actually bring up uh, my wife here, Pastor Desiree, to help us lead, to help lead us tonight.